people. Friends, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm your host, Stephen Henning. Okay, a couple life updates on the Hennings. Boy, that sounded like Sam Harris, didn't it? A <laughs> couple life updates here. Uh, Monday morning, I had my car broken into. Some lucky person uh, busted out the front passenger window of my car and stole my bag. That had my work lunch and a couple Rubik's cubes. So I hope they were confused by that. In the bag as well, I had one of my favorite notebooks. I won't, I'm a pocket carrier. I enjoy having a pocket notebook to sketch out ideas. I don't really like using the Notes app or my Evernote account on my phone to take a note. More just trying to build the habit of using a good old paper and pen. I even have one here on the desk with my notes here for this intro. You hear that? Good old moleskin notebook. Anyway, so lost one of my favorite notebooks. Had a couple good ideas in there that I hadn't quite yet transferred over to my Evernote. And that was really, honestly, probably the only thing that was of value in the bag to me. Uh, Let's see. Had my bag stolen, window broken out. I was honestly kind of surprised, kind of shocked at my gut reaction to the thing. I would have thought that I would have been a lot more angry and a lot more hurt by it but honestly i just kind of went into problem solving mode got the car vacuumed out with the old window that was just kind of kind of became dust particles all over the seat scheduled a replacement honestly if you're curious to hear any more of my thoughts of the thing i don't have to ramble here i can point you toward my blog actually stephen g henning dot blog slash shattered was the essay title Check that out if you want to, if you want to hear a little bit more of the story, a little bit more of the reaction I had, and a couple things I'm incredibly grateful for that we have set up, like an emergency fund. I'm also incredibly grateful that Dixie and I have gone kind of on a minimalist journey over the last couple of years. Really, it changed the relationship to things. Anyway, so that was a quick update there. Thank you, everyone, who has been adding reviews and likes and sharing the show on social media and adding reviews on Apple Podcasts. That's incredibly helpful. It helps us defeat our algorithm overlords and helps this show grow organically and uh, really bring the show in front of more people when they go search for their podcasts. In today's episode, I get to introduce you to my friend Jamie Beeson. Jamie is a wife. She's a mother of four boys, ranging from senior in high school to kindergartner. So if that tells you anything about what her home life is like, it's busy and loud. Let's say that. And we get into that. She is a life and fitness coach who teaches classes at a local gym here in Billings. And she is the co-founder of a ministry called She's Velvet Steel that was formed here in Billings, Montana. Like I said, we do get a peek into the Beeson's home life and the routines that she and her husband, Eric, have integrated into their home 
to keep their family close and to keep their family healthy. Quite honestly, their their home life and the the relationship between Jamie and Eric that we get a peek into here is just relationship goals, just marriage goals. I want to be best friends with these people um, and just learn what I can learn from them. You also get to hear me go on a bit of an interviewing journey. At the beginning of the show, you know, we do these rapid fire questions and these kind of open-ended, like what's your favorite snack, all these fun get to know you questions. We found that that opens up a lot of people to the microphone, you know, cause these things can be a little scary sometimes. So we do these fun rapid fire questions and, you know, I was asking Jamie all the, all the questions we like to ask. And when she told me what she wanted to be when she grew up, she gave me two answers that seemed completely unrelated when we first got started in the conversation. But as the interview progressed, she so expertly tied the two dreams of her childhood together. And you get to hear my reaction a little bit. It, uh, man, it took me on a trip. This was a great one. I hope you guys enjoy getting to know Jamie as much as I did. You can check her work out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jamie Beeson coaching, as well as on Instagram at Jamie underscore R underscore Beeson. Check out Velvet Steel on Facebook and Instagram. Both tags are She's Velvet Steel. Sincerely, I hope you enjoy this episode, getting to know Jamie. This was a fantastic one. So without further ado, here's the interview. You feel ready? I'm ready. We're going to get started with rapid fire questions. Puzzles or board games? Board games. Instagram or Facebook? Facebook. Oceans or lakes? Oceans. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Early morning or late night? Early morning. Summer or winter? Summer. Cardio or strength? Strength. Beaches or mountains? Beaches. I understand you're a Hugh Jackman fan, so I need to ask, Les Mis or Greatest Showman? (laughs) Do you have to ask? I do. (laughs) Greatest Showman. (laughs) Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Diet or exercise? Exercise. Sweet or savory? Sweet. Do you call it soda or pop? Both. Hogwarts or the Shire? (laughs) (laughs) Hogwarts. Disney or Pixar? Disney. Carnivore or vegan? Carnivore. Books or movies? Ooh, movies for entertainment, books for learning. Handshakes or hugs? Hugs. Introvert or extrovert? In the middle. Phone calls or texts? Text. (laughs) There you go. Okay, so that was the either or. These are more just open-ended. Starting with a series of favorites. Do you have a favorite candy? A few. Sea salt caramel is currently ranked number one. Favorite snack? I'm not really a snacker unless I, unless it's like a party, you know? Oh, okay. So then if that's the case, I like chips and salsa, chips and guacamole. Mm. That would be my snack. Favorite morning drink? (laughs) Creamer with a little bit of coffee. With a little bit of coffee. Perfect. (laughs) Uh, What is your favorite smell? Oh, goodness. Gosh. I would say probably a, a home smell. Of, you know, something that's been cooking or Mm. something like that, that makes me feel that home feel. Okay. Yeah. That's lovely. Favorite TV show? It changes all the time. I just finished watching uh, a season of Born This Way about young adult Down syndrome people. Super fun. Favorite ice cream flavor? 
Anything with chunks in it. It must have okay. chunks in Cookie it. Cookie dough or brownie. Exactly. Uh, what are foods you will never eat? I'm not a big fan of raw stuff. You oh. know, raw seafood things, raw. Not, not a sushi fan then. No. Okay. No. No raw. <laughs> Let's just cook it. Okay. Uh, who is the smartest person you know? And this mm. could be either no of or no personally. Gosh. Smart. It's all in how you define it, right? Oh, yes. That's fair. I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go easy and I'm going to go abstract. I'm going to go easy so that I don't have to think too hard, but I'm going to go abstract with the interpersonal smart that I think a lot of people underestimate. Oh yes. I think my husband is probably one of the smartest interpersonal people I know. Do you have a secret talent? I can gleek. Do you know what that is? I do. Yeah. Like you can lift your tongue and I can shoot it. I can shoot it. You can do it intentionally. Oh yeah. I had friends in high school that used to do that to people. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Intentionally? Intentionally and would catch us unawares. Mm-hmm. It's very annoying. Yeah. <laughs> right? I know. I, I threaten with this? it. You know, I'm oh. like, you don't want me to gleek on you, right? Right. That's what I tell my kids. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know. Some enforcer. It's a, it's a new and improved discipline technique. Yep. <laughs> what was your first job? I think my first job was working at TCBY, mm. the country's best yogurt. Mm-hmm. Do you have a historical hero? I don't think I could probably narrow it down to one historical hero other than Jesus. I mean, come on. I guess if we're going to get biblical, I think Esther is a hero for me. Okay. You know, if we're going to narrow down a life. Worst fashion trend you've ever participated in? (laughs) It has to be with the hair. Uh, (laughs) Probably like super permed hair where it was like poodle. You know, just big, fluffy with the real big bangs to go with. Oh, excellent. Uh huh. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I'd really like healing and it's a power, right? But Mm -hmm. I'd like to heal at any time, anyone, any place. What comes to mind when I ask you what your proudest achievement is? I think the growth of who I have become and it's still a process, right? I'm I'm still in process, but I think uh, definitely that. Will you tell me what you had for breakfast? I did. I, I eat the same thing every day. Nutritional shake, lots of vitamins and minerals, and then my creamer with coffee, of course. Creamer with coffee. <laughs> what flavor of shake do you like? This was a chocolate mint flavor. What would you choose for your last meal? Like if I were walking the mile and going to be electrocuted. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. I okay. mean, this, this is kind of a roundabout way of asking what your favorite food is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that also changes depending on how I'm feeling mm. about the day or the month. I, like most people, love a good pizza, but I like weird pizzas. Like I like pizza with fig and goat cheese, say. So I could do that, or I love Thai food too. And finally, what did you want to be when you grew up? I want to be a ballerina, and I want to be a pediatrician. Oh. Uh-huh. I'm trying to see if I can figure out how those are related, but I don't know if they are. <laughs> you, you wanted to make kids better. <clears throat> And you mm-hmm. wanted to dance. Yes. <laughs> express myself physically. Okay. Yeah. And I love music too. That might be the, the piece that moves me. Okay. Moving on here, I would love to just get an introduction to you. I want to learn where you grew up, uh, where you went to school, just kind of your story that got us up to now. Okay. You should never ask a talker to start that far back. Okay. Just PS. Okay. <laughs> because I could go any old tangent, right? Uh, well, I, grew I could up, give you more directed questions if you'd prefer. You'd, you'd probably like it better if I did. I'll, I'll start with just the basic about that. Okay. I've got yeah. I've got an older brother mm-hmm. um, and I did grow up with 
with my parents, it was very interesting because I felt like I kind of had one grow up experience and then it shifted. So grew up with my brother in the home. And then right when he graduated, my parents and I, we all became Christians at that time. Mm. So I think what the rest of my growing up years was like was very different. So anyway, kind of almost two family feels. Okay. And so a big dynamic shift, big dynamic shift. Sure. So my, my one brother and my parents, and we lived mostly in Idaho. Uh, I didn't move to Montana until I was uh, an adult. So Idaho was my grow up life. Okay. You grew up there, got through middle school, high school, all these things I did. in that area. Yep. Did you go to college after that? I did. So I went to the University of Idaho first, and then I went to Lewis Clark State College after to do my student teaching internship. They mm-hmm. did year long internships there. Versus uh, a traditional half of a year sure. student teaching. Yeah. I wanted the full experience, start the year with the kids and end the year with the kids. So I got my degree, my bachelor's is in elementary education. Mm. So I did my internship there at Lewis Clark State. Okay. Uh, so what got you to Billings then after college? <laughs> did you meet Eric in the, in the, the middle absolutely, here? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a big fast forward. So, uh, Billings, what, what brought us to Billings was my husband's job. Okay. But what brought us to Montana, uh, was a church plant. Oh yes. My husband right. got the job in Missoula to support us while we helped with the church plant. Sure. So that job as a retail manager, then eventually when that church plant had to close, then the retail management position moved us to Billings. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. When and where did you meet Eric? Very specifically, I was probably in eighth grade sitting in a friend of mine's piano recital and Eric's friend was sitting next to me on my right. Eric was one seat over and his friend was flirting the whole time. <laughs> and I'm like trying to ignore him. Eric was quiet the whole time, wow. but, but I saw him. Uh, and so crazy enough, his, at the time, his brother was dating this gal named Shelly. Shelly was my youth leader. So Eric had mentioned that he knew who I was. And she said, oh my goodness, she's in my youth group. So Long story short, we ended up meeting, became friends, and then dated in high school, actually. Wow. High school yeah. sweethearts. High school sweethearts broke up for a couple of years Okay, when I went to college. Sure. And then when I did my internship, he chased me down. <laughs> <laughs> and got you <laughs> he then, He found huh? me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was a little clueless at that time because we really didn't talk a whole lot for two years. Okay. So, yeah. So, we, um, we got back together at that point. Sure. Yeah. So, married right out of college? Mm-hmm. Moved to Missoula for a church plant. Yes. Job takes us there as well. Mm-hmm. And then well, jo- yeah, he got the job to support. To get that into time? Missoula. That's yeah. right. Okay. And then um, is that where your family started? Is that where you started having your boys? No, actually. So right out of college, we went online, took a geog- geography quiz. Like you asked a bunch of questions or it asked you questions. You answer just super random <laughs> and it would give you suggestions for where you should move, like where it would think you would be happiest. Wow. So we thought, you know, this is the time in our life to to live somewhere new. Yeah. So we took that geography quiz and it suggested Arizona. I had never been to Arizona. All right. We just both must have indicated we really liked sun. As the ocean, the beach, the the summer things that I did point out, I think sure. Eric would say similar. Yeah. So I interviewed as a young 22-year-old, and they just were so excited to have me and just were going to do anything to get me down there. And I, I was so flattered. And 
gosh, that was so nice to be wanted. <laughs> they even <laughs> created a position for Eric. He was doing probationary work, actually juvenile probation. Okay. And they created a position with a grant called Safe Schools Officer for him. And I thought, gosh, we must be really great. They want us so bad. They... Uh, once I got there, I realized like, oh, maybe it's they have a hard time recruiting. So <laughs> it's it's about an hour south of Vegas. Okay. It's called Bullhead City. It's right on the Colorado River. Mm-hmm. So it's right on the border of Arizona and Nevada. So you just jump over the river and you're in Nevada and then on your way to Vegas. Right. So we went down there. The day we moved into Bullhead City, we had to stop at a casino to stay because our stuff was going to be traveling down behind us. So we went into the parking garage. I opened the door of the vehicle and it felt like when you're baking something and you open the oven and it just kind of shoots out at your face and you know, you feel like your eyelashes might singe. Yep. That's what it felt like when I opened the door and I closed the door and I looked at Eric like, I think we made the biggest mistake of our lives. Didn't turn out to be the biggest mistake actually. So uh, it was, it was a, we often reflect back at that time. It was super fun. Uh, He had a school teacher schedule So we both got off at like four o'clock and we'd joke because we'd go eat like the early bird special right after school and we'd travel on the weekends. He had two weeks off at Christmas like teachers do. And it was a great honeymooner schedule. We had the exact same schedule all the time. Beautiful. So it was it was a great year. So we were in Arizona and that's when I found out I was pregnant with Ethan. Okay. And I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a mom. So I better go somewhere where people know. (laughs) So we moved back up to the Northwest at that time. I see. After I finished the school year. Okay. So you wanted to get back around family, people you trusted, people you knew that had had been in this phase of life before. (laughs) For sure. I had babysat growing up, but they were all older kids. Oh, okay. Potty trained. So I was kind of blown away at the fact that they would let me walk out of a hospital with a baby with no prior experience. I'm like, are you sure you don't want me to study some kind of training manual or something? Is this the wise move? (laughs) I don't really know I can keep this baby alive. We all know this is another human, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) I literally felt that lack of confidence, that much of it. Yeah. So we moved back up to the Northwest where people knew how to take care of babies. Great. Okay. Yeah. And Ethan's alive. He's graduating. So Wow. So we must have learned a thing or two. He's, and he's going to college soon and he is. all this. One's leaving the nest. Yeah, already. What's that what's that phase transition like? Uh it's strange because I think you you begin to look back and go, Did I give him everything that he needed? Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Did I support him in a way that he feels like he's going to have a launching pad to launch from? Like is he gonna be ready to fly? Yeah. Not in a sense that I don't trust him. I think he's going to do great. I think he's going to fall too. Yeah. And I think it's going to be, there's going to be struggle and there's going to be success and all of that. Yeah. I think the other part of it is just, it's not so much like, oh, my baby as much as uh, I've been with him every day of his life. Right. Right. You do life together for that long and just, I'm just going to miss him. Yep. So you start to, you start to think about that. And Eric always says, Eric, you know, in his interpersonal skills, right? Yes. It's like, we are not perfect parents, but one thing is guaranteed. These boys will walk out of this house and know that they are loved. I'm like, true. Wow. So if they, Oh, I just got chills. That's beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that Ethan would say that. I think he'd say my parents weren't perfect and maybe didn't give me everything I wanted or needed. Right. But I, without a shadow of a doubt, my mom and dad love me. Yeah. That's great. 
Yeah. So you have him. He's about to graduate. You have three other boys, correct? What What is the age range you're dealing with? Yeah. So Ethan is 17. Yep. Drew is 14. Noah is nine. Yes. And Liam is six. Wow. Uh huh. So kindergarten yep. is what I've got at the at the base, and then all the way to high, high school, school senior. Uh huh. One in elementary, one in middle school. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you are rather busy just when it comes to home life. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I mean, I don't, I (laughs) mean, somebody said something about chaos and again, like with the smart, it kind of depends on how you define it. Mm -hmm. Is there always noise? Yes. I do have a rule though. After like seven o'clock, I always tell them, I'm like, I'm kind of done with noise. So Mm. we turn down our volumes at seven. We wind it down. That's what I tell all the boys. Like volumes come down, voice volume, running around volumes, you know, all of that. But (laughs) There's always multiple things happening at one time. Yes. So if I mean, I remember not having kids and going to my friend's houses with kids. Yeah. Feeling like you're just looking all over the place and watching the kids <laughs> do and you, Like I couldn't have a conversation because I I'm just watching the children. You're you just know? going bananas. Whereas now I'm like so focused and having a conversation and who knows what the kids are doing. Mm. Yeah. Usually it's like, do you know where Liam is? I don't. Not entirely sure. <laughs> last time I saw him, <laughs> or last time I heard him, probably is more accurate. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, it's it's a busy it's a busy life, busy household, but it's I don't know. Busy can be negative. I think it's it's a very full, sure. full life, full yeah. household. So on top of that, I'm curious to ask you what you currently do for work. I am currently a life and habits coach. Mm-hmm. So I have my own business where a majority of it currently is programs that people. Uh, register for, and I provide webinars and resources, some small group coaching, and then, uh, you know, it's kind of a mind, body, soul resource Mm -hmm. page. And then I do some one-on-one coaching, but that has had to be limited. And I've contracted some work out because I recently took a position in September with Fuel Fitness. Mm -hmm. And my title is Yet to be determined, actually. It's morphed multiple times. Okay. So I'll summarize it as this. They had a culture that needed to change Mm -hmm. and they needed a strategy to grow. So they asked me if I could do that. Mm. Change our culture and help us be successful with a strategy of moving forward. So Knowing what I know of you, that sounds like that's right in your sweet spot. I love strategizing. I love taking something from where it is now and figuring out a plan of where it can be. The culture shifting scared me. Okay. Culture shifting is dealing with a lot of people's sets of beliefs Mm -hmm. and modes of operation. Yeah. And I really honestly thought, I don't know that I have what it takes to influence that at this big of a level in seven locations. So it wasn't just here that was sick and toxic it was in seven locations. And, and how do I do that? Right. right. So I was really nervous about that piece of it. Okay. Yeah. Were there any resources or trainings that you looked into, looking into culture building, culture enforcing you items? You know, in terms of trainings, nothing specific in training, but I listened to every one of Craig Rochelle's leadership podcasts. Yes. And he has some great ones on culture shifting. Mm. I'm currently reading and having my leaders read a book called Leader Shift by John Maxwell. And that book has a lot to do with that. You know, people are the heartbeat of culture. And uh, so really any resource and training, and, and that's really what I had to get to, is that any and all resource and training that I've had with people 
over the years is what was going to be applied here. Mm. How can I find the right people to carry the vision and how can I support them? How can I get them to flourish? How can I get them to be successful and help them grow? And that will create the culture. Right. You know? Yeah. Cause you can implement as many strategies and systems as you want, but until you get the people bought in almost at the level beneath ground zero. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. We got to make sure the culture is in a place where these strategies and systems take us in the right place. Mm -hmm. Otherwise we're leaning our ladder up against the wrong wall. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, and I've said that multiple times, like, I don't care how strong the strategy is. Right. If I don't have the team to carry it, it's going to mean nothing. Yeah. You know, so uh, leadership was kind of at the top of the list. Sure. Is do we have the leaders to to carry this vision and instigate a culture shift? Mm. So that's kind of where we started. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Do you teach any uh, classes there as well? I do. Excellent. I do. I tell me about those. So I started. I started taking group fitness classes with my mom when I was 16 years old. Step aerobics. Wow. Like, back in the day. All right. And that was my first introduction into it. And so when I went to college, I took classes as well because uh, that's what I had known. I was an athlete in in high school. So when I didn't have a sport, then I would take group fitness classes. Mm-hmm. And then in college, there was a group fitness manager that they were recruiting and needing new instructors. And I had never thought about being an instructor. Mm. Wasn't something that ever crossed my mind. Wasn't a goal. It just wasn't even a <laughs> something that I thought I'd <laughs> ever want to pursue. Yeah. The idea of having somebody watch me and follow me work out seemed a little odd to me. And, and being on stage even yet was even more intimidating. And, uh, so I was 19 and I said yes, very hesitantly. And I went through this recruitment event that they had. Uh, there were probably 20 to 30 of us there by the end of the event, it was realized it's not as easy as it looks Mm. by a lot of the participants. So there was a handful of us that finished the event and then committed to going to training. Here's the problem. The other girls were, let's just super straightforward they just were a little crazy okay so i felt like (laughs) if they have any hope of having a new instructor here it's gonna be me i'm gonna have to finish this thing otherwise they're gonna have some crazy people so (laughs) (laughs) i committed just to save them from crazy honestly all right um and and that's where it began for me but what what happened there and grew quickly with me is that group fitness leading was really just a pathway to people's hearts. And what was fascinating to me is at 19 years old, I would lead a class and afterwards I'd be putting things away and I'd have women stay to visit with me who are 20 years my senior discussing with me areas of insecurity. Wow. Areas of struggle. And I knew really quickly I didn't know anything. How can I help these people? I don't know. Right. So it began with being a listening ear and kind of being a bright spot in somebody's day being a motivation where they felt like they didn't have any. Mm. And that's what it began with. But it began also my search of how can I educate myself? How can I resource myself to provide support and other tools to people struggling? Yeah. Yeah. So that's where group fitness began for me. Uh, I did that for 17 years. And then, and I, and I say this with, with no hesitation, God wanted me to stop. Not just pause, <laughs> not just pull back, mm. but stop. And mm-hmm. there were some plugs that were pulled on a pathway that I was pursuing that it, it was like a no turn back kind of a thing. And 
what was difficult about that is um, walking away from some of that. I lost some of my licensing mm. and, and I really thought that it was one of those endings of a chapter that God had closed the book and it was time for me to put it on the shelf. Yeah. And, and that was just going to be something from my past. So I call it a sabbatical. I had a three year sabbatical away from a gym. I, I worked in a gym from 16 to uh, 35. Mm. I had never not been in a gym. <laughs> I, I am the definition of a gym rat. Yeah. Right? Like that gym was home for me. This is your world. That was my world. And I took three years and didn't go into a gym. Wow. It was odd, weird, but fascinating in, in how it instigated growth for me. Anyway, the thing that never left, though, was this desire to teach mm. again. Mm -hmm. uh, I missed it. I felt like it was like my secret weapon, honestly. Like I, I had the best conversations and relationships that came from that. Mm. And I didn't know if I was hanging on to it because of that, but there was also the other side of it. I love music and movement together. I loved how people felt when they left the room, even if I didn't have a conversation. Like even this morning, I taught a few classes and five people were gathered outside of the room and they just want to talk about how accomplished they felt and how yeah. proud of themselves that they were. And they were so intimidated when they used to come and I would have never been in a class, but you know, and then they continued on about how they felt. And, and so I didn't know what the draw was exactly and why I missed it, but it was always one of those things I just kept taking back to God. Like, am I ever going to get to do that again? Or, and there were times where it was a clear, no, don't pick it up. Don't pick it up. Don't sure. pick it up. And then this last summer it was, yeah, get back in there. So I was hesitant about it. So I said, I'll do like one or two classes, but that's all I can do. And then it, it progressed from there. Can, <laughs> can you help us? Can you help us figure out how we can grow this? Can you help yeah. us, you know, set and, our culture um, up better? All these, all <laughs> yeah. these things. It progressed for sure. Very yeah. quickly. So anyway, I do get to teach. I love teaching. And I think right now my favorite part of teaching is mentoring new instructors right next to me. So I have um, several classes that I team teach and I've got new instructors that are learning to do what I did 22 oh. years ago, mm. standing right next to me. And um, I love that. Yeah. Because then we get to do it together. Yeah. It's just building up somebody. Yeah. That gets you back into building up leaders, building up a culture mm -hmm. uh, that they, they want to continue here at the gym. Absolutely. That's yep. great. What are the specific classes that you teach that you guide run people through? Yeah. So currently I do a, a lot of people are familiar with the term spinning. Uh -huh. So it's an indoor cycling yeah. class and we tailor ours to a tool called my zone. So my zone is heart rate intensity monitoring. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's familiar with like orange theory, theirs is very much built on the intensity monitoring heart rate monitors have been around for a long time. My zone is one of those companies that has built a platform that can create community as mm -hmm. well within a club and you can see your intensities. You can put it up on the screen if you want to while you're working out yeah. and it'll keep everything tracked and monitored and from workout to workout and month to month. Right. Plus you it's get, a gamified aspect it to is. it. It's, you get points and you get to see other people up next to you and you can, uh -huh. even the difference in colors, you can see when somebody else goes into the red, but you're still back in blue or green or right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So, so our cycling is tailored to intensities. Uh -huh. And so I teach that. And then I teach a class called Power, which is strength training and movement training. Okay. So traditional strength training and then movement training that helps people move in 3D, which prepares you better for life mm. in general. Yeah. To be a better mover. 
some more natural movements kind of built into the workout. Yeah. And compound, meaning multiple muscles being used in multiple planes. And that's a little sciencey. Ah, so yes. really it's asking people to move like we do in real life, but loading it so that you move stronger and better. Sure. Yeah. Teaching them to move correctly, more right. mobility. So those are the two that I focus my time on currently. I just went through another training with my team here in Billings, which certifies us in two new programs. And one of them is called 3D30, which is taking that mobility and 3D movement factor and focusing on it. So it incorporates a lot of core, which is kind of a buzzword, but really the core is the center of our strength. Right. And so it incorporates a lot of that, but then also the head to toe, I, I you know, I would say that it, it recruits nose to toes pretty much and, and it's loaded movement training. So that's the newest thing that it's a lot of PTs, physical therapists and chiropractors. That's kind of part of the movement trend is toward mobility and helping people have movement health. Yeah. And so this is both of the programs focus on that. The 3D30 has kind of an intensity factor to it, which I love. The Move30 is more just about coaching people to move better. Are you familiar with the program called MoveNat? I'm not. Have you ever heard of that? I heard no. it. I heard about it on a podcast a little while ago. And it's a whole system built around kind of a workout routine that's not built around equipment or, you know, sets of reps necessarily. Mm -hmm. All they're trying to do is encourage people to increase the longevity of their body, like keep health up into your later years. Mm -hmm. So they talk about natural movements. What are the things that you want to be able to do when you're 70 or 80? Even things like standing up off the floor yeah, without, ground use, to standing. without using your hands. 100%. Like, are you able to get back on your feet without using your hands to stabilize yeah. or, or push off? Yeah. That's probably based on a study actually. Uh, and I can't remember the study to to reference it specifically, but what they did is they took 2000 people and then they followed them for a period of six years mm. and they rated their ability to sit on the floor with their legs crossed and to stand without touching knees, hands, wrists, elbows, or anything to the floor yeah. for everything that they touched, they took off a point. But what they found over the period of six years is that for every point, it decreased their life expectancy. Wow. Yeah, so they're directly correlating our movement health with our overall lifespan. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Okay, yeah. so in your personal coaching, yes, you mentioned kind of a soul, mind, body, kind of that triad of aspects that you're mm -hmm. focusing on. Mm -hmm. We've done some talking about body. Uh, what kind of things do you talk about when you're talking about soul and mind in your coaching? Yeah. It usually boils down to things about getting people to think about what they're thinking about, mm. what they're focusing on, and teaching the concept and letting them experience the concept. This is the big piece because knowledge is only helpful with application. Right? Yes. Otherwise, you're just a head full of stuff. Right. Application is what brings the transformation, as I tell my clients, you know? So, yeah. So I always try to create an opportunity for them to apply and experience. I say that very intentionally because I try to give them an opportunity to experience what you focus on, you'll find more of. Yeah, what you so, focus on expands. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we talk a lot about thoughts. We talk a lot about words, declarations, essentially. Oh, yes. How you describe things. We talk about perspective. Yeah. We talk about belief systems and how beliefs produce behaviors. Right. To a small belief of... Exercise is dreadful. 
If you have that belief underlying, it's going to compete with any goal you set to become a mover. Right? Yeah. It'll right? compete with the head knowledge Absolutely. that you know that exercise is not bad. Uh-huh. It's a, in fact, it's actually good for you. Yeah. Yeah. There's psychological terms for that kind of competing. You sure. know, I mean, it's, it's cognitive dissonance. Yes. You're, you're going to fight yep. and it will become a, an uphill battle that most people will quit. Mm. So helping people identify what beliefs they currently have that are limiting them from moving forward and then helping them to reset beliefs. So what's going on in the mind is a big piece, but also what's settling into the soul, Mm. um, which is identity things. What are we attaching our identity and value to? Right. Where are you getting that truth from and uh, helping people understand how that has affected where they are now? Most of the time when people come to me, they don't like where they are. That's the majority of my clients. I don't like where I am. It could be, I don't like where I am in my body. I don't like where I am in how I feel about my life. Maybe they're depressed or anxious Mm -hmm. and I'm not a, I'm not a clinical psychologist. So if it's something beyond my capacities, I certainly suggest otherwise. Sometimes it's not happy with where they are in their relationships. So they come to me and they're not happy. Yeah. So we need to identify then where does happiness come from then? Yeah. Okay. And that sounds like a silly question until you ask somebody. Right. And then they're like, well, if I'm just not here, is that accurate? Oh, well, then you're defining something by what it's not and not what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. So I make people think really hard and they don't like that. Most people want a one, two, three, fix my problem. Give me the steps. Step one, step two, step three, and then I'll be done. And I spend a lot of time teaching about the process of unlearning and then learning and reviewing and learning again. So that process of learning and growing, I'm trying to get people comfortable with that. It's not problem solving is not just a one, two, three. It is a process. It kind of goes back to what we were just saying about the gym too. Like there's as many strategies and systems we could put in place. If the culture is not in the right place, we're not doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, we can, we can get the one, two, three. Okay. You want to lose 25 pounds in six months, Mm -hmm. but if there's not a growth mindset beneath the one, two, three steps to get there. Yes. We're going to have issues. There's a you wall. Know, if, if you're stuck in a static mindset or a fixed mindset mm-hmm. and we don't have even a glimmer of growth or hope yep. in there. Yeah. So it's fun. It's fun. It's a lot of question asking. Yeah. It's a lot of getting people to dig. Right. And I usually make people cry. <laughs> oh, excellent. And I don't, I don't, I say that kind of flippantly, but, well, but the reality is, is that it forces people to kind of uncover some things yeah. that they've masked for a long time or they've just got these cliche answers. Yeah. You know, so when somebody says, I'm not happy with my body, why are you not happy with your body? I'm overweight. Okay. So you're going to be happy when you're not overweight? Mm. Yes. Okay. So talk to me about what got you overweight. Well, probably too much eating and inactivity. Why are you eating too much? Crickets. I don't know. I just have. I don't know. It probably started back when, I don't know, my marriage wasn't going well. Okay. Why are you not active anymore? Well, I had kids and I just never went back to it. Okay. So why does this matter to change this now? Well, because I just don't like feeling bad about myself. Well, why does that matter? I just don't like feeling sad. But why does it matter to be happy? Like, I need you to figure out why you need to change this. Right. You know, how does it affect things moving forward? Um, How does it affect your kids? How does it affect your marriage? What is happy? Right. Because the reality is and what we don't want to face is that's not true. That losing weight isn't necessarily the correlation to happy. Mm. You know, I think sometimes 
we see the story that glorifies the product of somebody losing weight and they seem so happy. It's like the person that has a lot of money. They're a super successful business person and they've got so much money, they must be super happy. How many stories have we heard? And, and, and maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't assume that people have heard these stories because um, it kind of goes against what I'm saying. Right. But the reality is, is if you do, if you look at the studies, if you listen to, to things a li- on a little deeper level, there's lots of interviews of really, really successful people in quotes. Yes. That are not happy. Yeah. Because they thought one thing was going to make them happy or like yeah. give them the joy. Mm-hmm. And they, they ignored you know, the stuff behind the stuff. Yes, absolutely. We have a phrase that I repeat. I like to repeat things over and over and over until my clients will repeat them back to me. And I'm like, now we're getting it. Yes. I'll say most people achieve to be happy. We have to flip it. We have to learn how to happily achieve, which just means we celebrate the process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What have you learned about good and effective question asking through this process? You're a good question asker. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah, you're good. <laughs> Made me ve- very self-conscious when you brought question asking up. <laughs> you gotta be a good question asker. <laughs> what have I learned about being a good question asker? Well, I think it takes very intentional listening. So when I hear someone make a statement, I try to peel that apart and see if I could get four more statements out of that one. Mm. So tell me what you think being in shape is. What do you mean by that? Well, I think being in shape is da da da. Okay. So when do you feel like that definition became important to you? Is that the same definition that you think you would say to your kids? Okay. Because we got to find, you know, so we just try to peel layers off of things. Sure. And, and so I think that's part of question asking. I think also it's, it's allowing wait time. Like that, right? Of, <laughs> of going, I'm going to give you a second. And, and just see if you could describe that to me in another way. Same concept, different words. Right. See if you can describe it in another way. Because we talk a lot about perspectives and beliefs. Yeah. And like I said, people get so used to saying the same things over and over that they've forgotten what it even means. Allowing people to process out loud. I'm, a, I'm an out loud processor. I'm a verbal processor. So it's, I forget that that's not easy for everyone. So I think being a good question asker helps people to process. Yeah. So you're, you're drawing what's already inside them out into into the light. Yeah. I'm trying to uncover meteor definitions, maybe point them to things that they haven't thought about for a while by asking questions Yeah, versus telling them something. I want them to discover their own information versus me just tell information. So I often say, what do you think about? Tell me what this does by me th- by saying this statement right what happens when i say this statement mm-hmm. you know things like that that make people contemplate yeah and you and you never ask a yes or no no it's super kind of, open-ended you, yeah you, you want to leave it super open-ended one of my mm-hmm. favorite ways to start a question is what did it feel like or what mm-hmm. was it like when mm-hmm. you know yeah because that it like it dives just one level deeper absolutely yeah, yeah. i Honestly, I think that, again, back to the interpersonal smart, mm-hmm. my husband is a great question asker. So I've known him since I was 14. So I've gotten to sit in on hundreds and hundreds of conversations. And I think what I've learned also is that the right questions with a heart that cares yeah. can break down a lot of walls. Right. There's not very many people that my husband can't break down. <laughs> I have a hard time with some people. You know, that put up a wall or that seem very closed off or very 
insecure maybe or just like they've they've got a whole lot of armor or or somebody that maybe is shy or somebody that's more introverted my husband is really good at finding the thing i think i think it honestly starts with relatability mm. sometimes if they in my situation because they know me and trust me i can ask harder questions so if if we didn't have that equity yet finding something that makes me more relatable to them so finding a common ground and then also finding something that makes them excited about their life that they could talk about and yeah. finding interest in what they're interested in that can then open up to deeper conversations that can break people's walls down that's something that i've watched my husband do when it's not a client situation and it's it starts with how's the weather you know like yes. how can we move past this how's the weather conversation exactly and i've watched him create relatability and create trust and show interest, which then yeah. creates this great pathway for him to ask a little bit deeper Yep, and they open up. And now you're picking these skills up by osmosis. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm like, Ooh, that was good. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And, and the, the nice thing about me doing this as a job is most people in a weird way, because it's through social media, a lot of times are webinars. Mm -hmm. They feel like they know me a little bit. I share parts of my story and things like that. So I don't have to go through that process as much, but there are some. There are some that even if they come to me, there's a lot of walls and it right. takes a little bit of time. Thank you so much for listening to No Normal People this week. We hope you're enjoying the interview with Jamie Beeson. Remember, you can connect with No Normal People on our website at www.nonormalpeople.com. That's K-N-O-W, normalpeople.com. Also connect with us, like us, leave us a comment, give us a share on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All the tags there are No People Pod. That's K-N-O-W People Pod. And when you do, be sure to use our hashtags, hashtag No Normal People, K-N-O-W Normal People, and hashtag K-N-P. If you work for, operate, or own a business that would like to advertise with No Normal People as an affiliate, you can email me, Stephen, directly at nopeoplepod at gmail.com. That's K-N-O-W, peoplepod at gmail.com. Thanks for letting me jump in. Let's get back to our interview with Jamie Beeson. Okay, let's see here. We've talked about your family. Mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about a home life with four boys. Yes. Tends to be rather noisy. As we've just learned, you have a pretty busy professional life with your coaching work and with your work at the gym, teaching classes, culture building, leadership, uh, developing. Yeah. What are some habits and routines that you've built into your life to help you and your family operate at this high level? Well, it always begins with me. Yeah. Always begins with me. Like I mentioned of being proudest accomplishment is, is the growth because I think for a lot of years, the external was my focus of mm -hmm. what I could accomplish or, how much of my to-do list was done by the end of the day. And so external was my focus. And I think that shifted probably about seven years ago to being internal. So I always know that, that if I wake up another day, that God is sending me into some divine appointments, that there's going to be interactions. Mm. Um, and so I have to prep myself the best I can to, to anchor my heart, to set down things that shouldn't be held to pick up things that, that maybe I'm nervous to pick up. Yeah. Uh, so the morning habit is always getting in the word, okay. um, the word of God. And, and, uh, you know, and it looks different 
in different seasons, depending on on what season it is. In some seasons, when I'm I have a little bit more time or that I'm honestly when I'm studying for something like I'm going to be teaching something, then then I really will dig in as well. So that and then, uh, you know, there's times that I'll have prayer journaling or times that I will just journal about a a particular topic or word Mm. or something that that I feel like is just kind of sitting on me for a while. Do you have any particular templates that you follow or is it more of a free flow uh, kind of stream of consciousness journaling? No, it's never that because I feel like I got too much okay. in my head. Um, that could go for too long. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I love somebody gave me freedom. It, I think it was a John's, John Maxwell podcast one time. He's like journaling. I think I avoided journaling for a season of my life because I felt like I had to write everything down mm. in full sentence and complete thoughts. And he said, really, jotting is just as effective and sometimes more. Oh, OK. Because you're summarizing the most important things. Right. You're and, taking notes. Yeah, pretty much. And you're yeah. kind of just... It's your bullet points. And and so I've used that strategy in a lot of different ways. Um, there was a season of my life where gratitude was needed to be expanded. So mm. that's my journal focus. There was a season in my life where I was exploring the word contentment. So I was journaling about moments in my day or my week that I could identify as being fully content and what that meant. So I was observing what that meant so sure. I could redefine it. So that might be the journaling aspect. There's There's been times where there's something that I'm trying to learn. And so more so on like the character side of things or understanding something about God. And so I will, like I said, kind of focus it in on a particular aspect of God's character. Yeah. So journaling looks different um, in different seasons. Uh, And this is every morning for you? uh Uh-huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're reading some scripture. Yep. A time spent in your journal. Journal, studying. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, So that's kind of the internal work. I exercise yes. and movement is a part of my life. It happens at different times a day now because it's also my career. Right. But movement is important to me. And if yeah. I don't move, you can ask my husband. He'll say, you should move. What's great about that is that my body has become accustomed to needing it to oh. handle stress and do life well. Okay. So if I don't, my head is not clear. My emotions are not level. So I think that there is a chemical aspect there directly correlated to me being level-headed yeah. when I am. <laughs> That's great. If I'm not level-headed, it's not always because of exercise. It's of course, of humanness, yes. <laughs> you know. So exercise is a big one in terms of habit. And like I said, I eat the same thing every morning yep. because I feel like the way that I start my day and what I introduce to my body first thing is going mm. to affect how I carry the rest of my day. Sure. So I feed my soul and then I feed my body in hopes that that will be a keystone habit that triggers other things. Yep. I make my bed every single day and then I tell my kids that's my one place you cannot mess up. Oh. That's a rule in my home. You can mess everything else up and and we'll put it back together at some point, but you cannot if my bed is made you cannot be on my bed. Wow. <laughs> Sounds crazy, I know. But when you live in a life that's busy and chaotic, I need to have one space. Yeah. That looks clear, put together and done. Especially when you're coming back to the bed, landing the plane at the end of the day, and you come yeah. back to that one bit of order that reminds you. Yeah, like, it's my way of breathing. Sure. I see it and I go, okay. Yeah. And so uh, that's a habit as well, uh, is making my bed. Are these the kind of things you're... Think- this is exactly what I this wanted. This is what you're I, I love of? these goofy details. Okay. Okay, uh, good. Incredibly interested. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in terms of like household habits, I think it's funny because sometimes... I forget what's a habit because it's become automatic. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yes. And that's exactly what a habit should be. Right. 
And so there are some things that we don't think about that happen every day. Sure. We usually turn on worship music sometime in the morning. Excellent. It'll either be out in the kitchen or it'll be on my phone while I'm getting ready for work or whatever. It's just on. Yeah. So that is something that's become a habit is, is just letting worship music play. And what I love about that habit is my boys have a lot of worship music memorized and a lot of worship music is based off of scripture. Great. So yeah. they are repeating lines and, and singing yep. out truth over their lives, yep. whether they totally get it or not. I and, love it. And tucking that into their, their souls. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, great. For sure. So that's something that I think is, is happening as a habit. Sure. Something that we've intentionally done uh, as a family is Eric and I have, one or the other always been available after school. So okay. my kids have never, when they rode a bus, I got them at the end of the bus stop. They've never come home to no one at home. I consider myself and my husband to be home, right? It's not the house exactly. It's, again, I guess we could go back to the culture idea. Right. It's the people that create the culture. And, yep. and I've not been the best at this because sometimes they come home and I'm multitasking. <laughs> And I'm not ready for them to be home. And so I've not greeted them in the way that I'd want to or created the atmosphere that I want to. But I think the one right. thing that has been consistent is they get to come home. Yeah. And they, they come to, home from school. They don't come back to the house from school. Exactly. And, and there's the consistency of a parent yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And they usually always have something to say, mm. even if I'm like, now what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? They always have something to say. They always want a snack to eat. But I think that that has been a way for us to create stability Sure. in our family unit. We have a rule of no tech at the table. That's a, that's a habit. It's a great rule. Yeah. And so we usually have dinner a minimum of four times a week okay. together. Wow. Um, all of us. So that's awesome. And I would say that it's habit. Yeah. Uh, because even my oldest, he knows that it's dinner time, right? So yes. if it's dinner time then we all come upstairs and there's no technology and there's nothing else going and and we play the questions game or the would you rather game or any of those things sharing sharing something funny yeah just just fostering connection in that moment yeah that's great and i'd say that that's a habit it's not something that we have to like oh we should remember to do that yeah you know let's avoid watching netflix and eating dinner (laughs) right right like it just this is just what we do and the kids will tell you that too oh yeah we've had people over and they'll say no tech at the table to (laughs) to guess I'm like oh, yeah no tech at the table that's great yeah it's great it's <laughs> great I think there's probably lots of other little habits I would say probably sure. the way that we end our night so I started with how I began yep my day um so how we end our night from the moment that Ethan was born 17 years ago we've always sang and we usually sing a silly song and then we'll usually sing like a worship song so uh we do that with all of our boys mm-hmm and individually or all together individually okay and then prayed over them yeah individually and you know usually that time instigates conversation yeah right they become little philosophers at eight o'clock at night and yep. they want to ask deep questions or solve world problems or they just want to tell you about a hangnail oh, <laughs> but wow. i'm like we probably could have talked about this at five o'clock but yeah you know now that when it's bedtime, let's, let's talk about your <laughs> hangnail so uh we do have that that we close our evening with that and yeah and what's funny is that the boys even ethan will come upstairs and his line is prizzle for mizzle which means will you pray for me oh and so even as a 17 year old it's habit 
Yeah. Because that's how he ends his night. Yeah. So because you started it so early, it's not a thing where your boys who are teenagers now are like rolling your eyes or rolling their eyes at you yeah, through no. the process. They come and lay on our bed often. They come into our bedroom. So the little boys, we go into their bedrooms and right. we always did when they were little. Okay. But the big boys will come in and they'll lay on our bed and we pray over them in our room and they come to us for that. So I would wow. say that that's habit. That yeah. They know. They know that's how they end their night. Yeah. And and I would say that there's been seasons like if if we're traveling. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. we're just trying to get everybody to bed. Are, are, aren't we singing and praying? You know, and we're like, oh, yes, yes, we are. Yes. Thank uh, you for but, reminding me. Right. But it's it's <laughs> I mean, it's that ingrained in them that that's how we end our night. Yeah. So that's great. I love that. It's a it's a family culture now where it's it's beyond. This is what we're trying to do. It's this is who we are. This, this is, is what, what we, we do. do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This mm-hmm. is just what we do. Right. Yeah. Yep. So I would say, I mean, in, in terms of family habit and how we do things, I mean, that's kind of a few of the things that sure. I would say are habit Yeah. Um, of places of emphasis anyway. Do you practice any particular diet in the house or you personally? Yeah. So let's see, 2013, my nine-year-old now mm-hmm. had, had had seizures. He was born with them. And had seizures almost every day of his life for seven wow. years. So in 2013 or 14, I decided that we were going to try and attack it with nutrition because medication was not working. They yeah. couldn't figure out the source of the problem. Mm-hmm. So I was going to do what I can and use what I knew to try and help. Okay. So it was going to be a family ordeal. It wasn't going to be, I'm going to make something special for him and something different for you. Right. It's going to be everybody's yep. doing it. So we were incredibly strict mm-hmm. for a good chunk of time. Nothing processed, very rarely eating out. And if we ate out, it was a place that had whole local ingredients. We drank tons of water, no sugars, no processed sugars, mm-hmm. uh, lots of fruits and vegetables, just whole, clean, natural eating yeah, as much as possible. Very little out of a box. I avoided a lot of anything with additives, preservatives, colors, soy, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It was, it was very strict for a while and, and it actually was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helped Noah battle and give him a lot more strength out of seizures mm, and um, was really great for our family. In 2017, Noah had brain surgery yeah. and has not had a seizure since. So, wow. yeah, so That's seven years of so seizures. Fantastic. And now he's two years free. So, wow. it is fantastic. But that has eased us up a little bit. Okay. I would say more than what I'm comfortable with. I, oh. I feel like we have treats probably three times a week. And okay. I'm like, mm, I don't feel like this is a treat when it's happening so often. Sure. You know? So we used to do it where it was once a week and the boys would rotate picking whatever they wanted. Yeah. Anything. If you want maple bars with gummy worms on it. All right. We'll do it. You know, (laughs) so they got to pick whatever it was that they wanted. And that was great because I feel like that is a life skill that we need to have. Right. Be intentional about our yeses and intentional about our noes. Yep. So we used to do that. And then we used to rotate the same thing with eating out. We Mm -hmm. would let them pick uh, different places and take turns on that. But I'd say we eat out once a week still as a family. And that's usually for a, we'll have like a family day or a family night where we're doing something. We might go to the movie and then to dinner sure. or something, or we might get something and bring it home, but it, it's a break for me. I don't cool. like cooking. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just by necessity that I need to fuel my family. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Now I kind of want to open it up 
uh, we've talked a lot about health and fitness and nutrition mm-hmm. and we, we've had plenty of good conversations about that before, mm-hmm. but I don't want to assume that that is necessarily what you're passionate about. What do you think and talk about when you have nothing else to think and talk about? What are you passionate about? If my husband and I can talk about anything, and I say my husband because he's probably the one that I process out loud the most with, I dream the most with, and I talk through ideas with, I strategize with him out loud. He's mm-hmm. my sounding board. Yes. So when I'm kind of, when I'm trying to come up with something new, I'm trying to problem solve, um, I'll throw out my stuff to him. I told you he's a good question asker, so he helps me sort through that stuff. What comes up the most for fun, honestly, is business strategy and leadership development. So like I mentioned, the health and the fitness has been a bridge for me. So I didn't get into the fitness industry like a lot of people do. A lot of people get into the fitness industry because they like exercise or they like nutrition or they like both. Yeah. Okay. Even when I became a personal trainer, I didn't become a personal trainer because I liked exercise programming. I liked being a personal trainer so I could help solve people's problems. Most of the time they came to me with a body problem, but it went deeper to an identity problem or they had a body problem that they felt like was causing marriage problems because they were pulling away Mm. um, or creating kind of distance between their spouse. So by helping them handle their body problem, it was in turn helping them with their relational problems. Yeah. So fitness and health has always been this wall breaker, right? And a bridge to things that really matter. Our body matters, absolutely. Yes. And, and fitness and nutrition absolutely matter. But maybe I should say what matters to me. Yes, like I, absolutely. I, I want to get to their heart, you know? Yeah. So I like it and I've learned a lot about it and I use it as a tool. Mm. But fitness and nutrition are not my passion. I love teaching, but again, it's to the heart. So I love to move and music and be motivating, but it's because of the heart. So that's what we spend a lot of time on. Uh, if I were going to talk or uh, even pray about or journal about or read, like my oldest was asking me the other day, he's like, do you ever just read fiction? <laughs> like, gosh, back when the Hunger Games came out, I guess I did. Oh, yes. <laughs> I okay. did because he wanted to read the Hunger Games. So right. I read all of them because I'm like, well. It's about killing people, right? Like, I, you know, I wasn't sure what I was reading. <laughs> so anyway, I read through the fiction Hunger Games series because yeah. my son, but I love to read things where I learn. I'm mm. a nerd like that. Eric and I used to do date nights at the library and at Barnes and Noble. Lots and lots of date nights at those places. And when I tell people that, I could see you and Dixie doing something like that. So you may not be like, yeah, that sounds like an ideal night to me. <laughs> right, right. I know. And But I tell some people that and they're like, you guys literally did that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we word. were excited about it. Yes. Like he would gather business books. I would gather health and fitness books. Yes. We would share ideas like, oh my gosh, did you know this? And we'd spend hours. Um, That's great. Doing that kind of stuff. So all of that to say we, and, and I never was into the business years ago. Gosh, if you would have asked when we first got married, if I was ever going to run a business, I'd say no. And would I ever help somebody else run their business? No. <laughs> right. So what's crazy is I didn't even know that I was, that that was part of my cloth per se. Wow. Right? Like I didn't know that the strategize, I mean, I can look back now, which is actually a part of the, the coaching that I do with people Sure, is help them discover what I call DNA divine natural ability. I can look back to when I was, yeah, yeah. I can look back to when I was a kid and when the group of friends in our neighborhood would get together and they'd fight about what we were going to play. 
I would come up with a strategy to solve the problem, you know? So like one of the strategies that I use is everybody got to write three ideas down, but we would write them down without like showing what our handwriting or anything looked like. Right. And I wouldn't let anybody see. And then I would read them and I'd let everybody eliminate one. So there was no bias, right? So Sarah can't go, well, I'm going to eliminate Danette's because I don't want to do what Danette wants to do. It was none of that. Right. I'd read it so that there was no bias. Yeah. And it was and eliminating I'd... ideas on the merits of the ideas themselves. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. And so I'd let everybody eliminate until we came down to a final two or three and we'd take a vote. And that's <laughs> what we would do. And, and it, it solved the problem every time. But it, that's the kind of stuff that I did wow as a how, kid yeah how old were you when you were doing this I was like elementary school oh my goodness yeah so i mean i look back at my life then yeah and i can remember sitting on the corner of a street and one friend on one side and one friend on the other and they were fighting and i'm asking the girl on my right how she's feeling and she's expressing that i'm asking the one on my left how are you feeling and she's expressing i'm like in the <sighs> middle helping them solve their fight Right. So I look back at situations like that and go, it's always been a part of me to strategize and problem solve. Right. I I describe it as I always see the screws that are loose, not because I'm negative, but because I go, ooh, if that's not tightened, that's going to cause a problem. Yeah. Because, you know, if you leave a screw loose for too long, it strips. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's been part of the lenses that I've been given is and, and I used to fight with God about that. I'm like, why did you give me that ability to see that if I can't fix everything? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. Because I've had to learn that some screws that are loose that are identified are just meant to be prayed about mm. and I don't get to do anything about them. That's going to be a, a God thing. And so there's been lots of things in my life that I don't get to do the strategy or the problem solve. Sure. I see it and then I have to pray about it a, a, a lot in regards to other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I just want to fix it. Right. And I just know if I want to help. Yeah. I just want to try and help that situation. But um, so there's that. And, and I've had to learn that and that. Sometimes it's not the right time. Yeah. You know, it's not the right time to strategize or problem solve. And so the strategizing and problem solving has always been in me. Yep. Um, but if it's not time for that, then it's time for the attentive listening and the good question asking. Yeah. Which yeah. you already do. Which naturally as well. Side. Yeah. Fantastic. So anyway, it's interesting to look back at some of those patterns, like I okay. said, the DNA and, and really go, you know, I mean, so even talking about the pediatrician, yeah, I wanted to solve other kids problems, right? Oh. I was a kid. Who wanted were, to be a doctor. And you were wishing you could heal. And that I said to you, that would be my power. Yes. Right? I wanted to heal things that were broken. Yeah. And so that's what I knew how to say. Right. And oh. that's the job that I understood as a kid. Yeah. I didn't know that there could be other things that would heal and solve problems and fix people's hurts. Right. Right. And so, and then the ballet is the movement in music because it's inspiring. Right. Like, wow. Seeing the movement in music and seeing how it inspires me as a viewer, I wanted to be able to do something with movement and music that inspired somebody else in, a, in, in some capacity. Wow. Yes. And that's what I was put into at 19. Yep. Yeah. Right? And it starts with ballet. This is movement through music, mm-hmm. engaging the body in beautiful ways. Mm-hmm. This is wanting to be a pediatrician, heal the bodies of other children. Mm-hmm. And we start with the body and then we bridge into the soul and mind work. Yeah, the inspiration and my the, and goodness, the heart. this is so integrated. I am loving this. <laughs> this is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, so even though the the correlation seems odd, if we look in people's lives, just as you, uh, you know, for this podcast, say that if you talk to somebody long enough, there's some amazing thing in every in everybody's story. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some really cool principles that we can learn from each other. You know, so if I can sit with somebody long enough. 
and help them discover their DNA. Sure. There's patterns that you can draw from from the beginning. Yes. I mean, God's cool like that. Oh, absolutely. You know, that it shows up. I always say the DNA is something that shows up whether you tried to or not. Wow. Yeah. We talked about your historical biblical hero being Esther mm-hmm. in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to take this conversation toward a project that you were involved in, mm-hmm. and I understand it's on pause right now. Yes. But let's talk about She's Velvet Steel mm-hmm. and how this relates to what you're passionate about, what you do, this, this entire trajectory that, you're, that the world has put you on, that God has put you on. Yeah. So She's Velvet Steel describes Esther. Yes. She had to be soft and tender and patient. She had to be respectful and honorable. And she had to be someone that would earn favor by being who she is, right? But surrendering maybe even what she wants to be or would rather be. And God gave her favor, you know, for such a time as this. Mm -hmm. And with that favor came great responsibility. And now I'm sounding like Spider-Man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so with that great responsibility, she had to choose bravery. So she's velvet steel is literally that she has to be both tender and tough. Mm. She has to be both strong and surrendered. So it's a, it's a balance for a woman that in our culture can be misconstrued. Mm-hmm. So I always say that if I were not a Christian, I'd probably be a feminist, <laughs> but, <laughs> but only, only because I feel like women, um, misunderstand their unique gifting and placement mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. And I think sadly, I, I feel like feminism is, uh, demanding it, but Esther did not demand favor. Mm-hmm. She didn't demand the respect and honor. She earned it. And and I would say when it comes to God's favor, we never earn it. He's just given, <laughs> you yes, know, that's yeah. grace. It's, it's unmerited favor. Right. So there is a lot of unmerited favor on Esther's life. And that's just the way that God works. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the favor of the king and, and of the way that he saw her, right, it, it was an earned thing by the way she carried herself. Yeah. So she's velvet steel, uh, is a ministry. And, and I would say it's funny because everybody that is involved in that, we are all in what I call ministry. We all have businesses that we run, but we see them as our ministry. Wow. So we call them ministries. Yes. But all of us have that aspect. And our, and our desire with She's Velvet Steel was really to speak to uh, the girl who knows that she's meant for something, that she has, that there's purpose on her life, as is everyone. But we want to get the girl that knows it. We want to help her understand what it means to step out into leadership that it's oftentimes kneeling down, right? So stepping out can be kneeling down. Yep. And um, we wanted to support her. So again, it goes back to the building up of leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe everybody has, obviously everybody has purpose. Everybody also has an ability to lead. I think it has to be built. And I think everybody's sphere of influence is different. But leading ourselves is the first place that any leader starts. Right. And so there were three areas that She's Velvet Steel uh, was beginning to dig into, which was identity, intentionality, uh, like intentional growth, and then influence. So those three eyes were kind of our focus of content because we knew that the growth in the self was going to have to be there first. Where are you anchoring yourself? 
Right. Where's your identity coming from? It can't be in what you're doing. Can't be in your role or lack of. And then the intentional growth aspect of how are you going to grow yourself, but how are you going to grow other people? How are you going to move things forward with intention, as you and I talked about before we started this, right? right. That that people want certain things, but we don't get anywhere without intention. Mm-hmm. We're all we're going to get somewhere because we're yep. always in motion, but yes. we may not like the destination we end up on. You yeah, know? we got to make sure we <laughs> plot a clear course. For sure. For <laughs> sure. So, and then the influence is understanding influence. So understanding influence with our children, with our spouses, with our you know, friendships, coworkers, but then also our influence when we do have positional authority. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. When, when we have a role that is looked to as a leader, mm-hmm. but really speaking to the fact that a lot of our influence is without position. I mean, Esther's influence began before she had position. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. So, yeah. So that that's where that began. And there's women that have that same heart and same vision on their lives. And I don't know why we came together and started. And then now we have to pause. I mean, practically speaking, it's because all of us run businesses. Yes. And we all have children and uh, are very incredibly busy people. Right. And it was one of those things where we needed to practice what we preach which was focus on the things that God is calling to you now and set down things peripherally, you know, anything that is going to overextend and distract. Mm. So uh, we really felt like we needed to be the she's velvet steel in the places we were called to. Sure. You know? So yes. we are all living our, our mission, right? We're yeah. all walking it out right. and, and trying to be the best version of that that we can oh, yeah. and, and grow in that right now. Absolutely. So. so this is a situation where do we all feel like She's Velvet Steel is on pause, but it's not a full stop. Yeah. Like you felt earlier in your life. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I have some of the girls that come back to me because it was originally my idea. Yeah. But I have them, you know, do you, do you think that we could start like just doing something real small? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so far it's like, not yet. Not you know, yet. None, not of us, none of us are really like toe dippers. Okay. You know? Like yeah. we're all in people. Yeah. And it's so, a commitment. And uh-huh. when you're, when you're going to make it, you want to make sure you're your full body is behind yeah, it. Yeah, that will be ready to, to go all in. Great. Yeah. I love what you guys do at She's Velvet Steel. Thanks. It's so cool. Yeah, thank Even you. Even as a man, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. looking into it, I I believe that's a, a message that the world needs yeah, a thanks. lot more of. Well, I think it birthed out of the fact that we all said, gosh, if we had had some women that were 10, 15 years our senior, mm. when we began to step into some of the purposes we knew God had for us, 10 or 15 years right. ago, yep. man, things would have been different. And now you're creating something in the void that you were sensing back then. Yeah. You're creating yeah. what you needed. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I think most of the best shows, most of the best uh, blogs, books, anything like that, it's, it's when somebody has a, uh, an acute sense of what was missing when yeah. they went through it and yeah. they want to help. You know, if somebody else is feeling this, I wrote a book or I yeah. have a blog that talks this or yeah. a podcast. Yeah. Speaking of book, that is something it's so funny. I don't I don't see myself as a writer. Okay. I don't even love writing. Mm. Um, but it's been something because of my words. I've always been a word girl. Like mm-hmm. I love words. I love alliteration. I love analogies. I love word pictures. I love words. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I've always again, it's a, D- a DNA thing. Yep. I mean, I've always been drawn to it. Mm. Um, but I don't love the process of writing. Um, but multiple times, multiple times that conversation has come up about writing and writing a book. And, um, there is a story and I think, 
I think it ties with She's Velvet Steel. I think that there's a, a lot of the content and the uh, dream behind that. Mm-hmm. There's stories behind that. Oh, yeah. You know, absolutely. and so I think uh, there will be there will be a book that I need to prioritize because I think it's probably going to get to a point where it'd be disobedience at some point. Wow. Okay. So it's not one of those things that I feel like I, ha- you know, I have to need to right yeah. now, but it's one of those that I've already sketched the outline for and have begun sorting through stories and yeah. thoughts. Well, Jamie, this has been fantastic. Yeah, it's thank fun. You, thank you so much for coming over here. Yeah, absolutely. To close us out, I'm curious to know what you are currently reading. So Leader Shift by John Maxwell, I am reading with my team. And then I am reading Becoming and Beholding. It alternates chapters. One chapter is about something that we, that God is always working into us, what we are becoming. Yeah. And then beholding is what you put your focus on. Okay. Uh, that's what you're currently reading then. Yes. Uh, what are you currently listening to? What do you like? Uh, what's your default when you put music on and or what podcasts do you gravitate yeah. toward? So I use uh, Google Play Music. And so anytime I hear a worship song that just speaks to me in that moment, mm. I always thumb up it, which puts it into a playlist. So my worship playlist um, has a song that I've been playing quite a bit. And I think it's because it's something that I'll probably be speaking about in uh, that women's conference in April. Mm -hmm. But the song is called Remember. And it's by Katie and Brian. And their last name starts with a T. Mm, I'm really bad at worship leader names. So I couldn't help you there. It was, uh, I mean, mean, essentially, it's just like... don't forget who we're talking about here. Sure. Right? Okay. Remember what God has done and who he is. And so I pull up that and I will often have like three worship songs that, like I told you, I turn them on every day. Mm-hmm. And um, and then there'll be a new season and a new set, you know? Yeah. Yep. So uh, that's pretty common with me. And then podcast wise, I often will pull up, make sure that I've kept up on Craig Rochelle's leadership podcast. That's yes. one that I definitely pull from quite a bit. And then I, I'd say that one probably the most frequent. And then Darius Daniels, you familiar with him? I am not. So he is a pastor out of New Jersey, New York, and also Florida. Okay. But his church is called Change Church. And he has a mind, body, soul wellness program that they put on through their church. Wow. So when I first heard him speak, it was through Orange the elevation code uh, orange uh, revival. Yeah. 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 Through that. And that's the first time I heard him speak and I'm like, "Mm, he speaks my language. You know what I'm saying? Like I (laughs) like the way that he, what he focuses on. And so then I listened to a few more and I'm like, this this is like my person, I mean, you know, (laughs) not in a weird way, but like this, this is a person that thought wise. Yeah. I, we are on the same page. Yeah. But he's so incredibly brilliant that, and theologically speaking, I mean, he just knows the word in and out mm. and, and we agree on a lot of things and, and I see things similarly, but I learn a lot from him. Great. So he has similar philosophy in, in the idea of ministry to mind, body, soul as I do and changing leaders. Yeah. So I, I listen to him. So those are, those are probably your top two podcasts there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. Yes. yes. To close us out, would you read the quote for the podcast? The only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Mm-hmm.